This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, we are discussing about the role of physical activity in public health, and we have an amazing guest for this episode who can really give perspective on this matter. Our guest has started his research career in 1972 in University of Oregon and has since then worked in almost every position and roles imaginable. Currently, he's working as Distinguished Professor Emeritus of Exercise Science and as a Director of Children's Physical Activity Research Group at University of South Carolina. He has authored nine books about fitness testing, coaching, and physical activity interventions and strategies. He has published over 400 peer-reviewed scientific papers, and those papers have been cited over 111,000 times. And if that is not enough of accomplishments, he has finished prestigious Boston Marathon on seventh place with time of two hours and 15 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Distinguished Professor Russell Pate. Welcome, Russell. Well, thank you so much, Ola. It's wonderful to be with you, and I appreciate the very kind introduction. Yeah, it's really, really an honor to have you. And and if we still talk about the perspective, like I think it was 2007 when the kind of the sedentary behavior research started. And it's quite amazing that it's so late that nobody really did studies about excessive sitting before that. Why, why do you think we had kind of a blind spot that nobody nobody looked at that? Well, I... I um... I guess I'd probably be honest and say I don't know for sure, but um, you know I do think that um, you know during this period that that we've been researching physical activity and health and developing public health practice around physical activity and health, uh, our societies have changed, and if if you look at you know how how we how we work now, uh, how we use our leisure time now. Uh, we're sitting a lot more than our ancestors did. And so I think part of it is, um, you know, just our lived experience is such that, um, you know, it, it's pretty obvious that, you know, sitting is playing a, a much larger role in our in our lives than, than it did earlier. So, you know, I think that's, that's probably part of it. Um, but I, I also think part of it is, is, is research. Um, and I think we are, you know, gradually learning more and more about uh, about sedentary behavior. Um, you know, I, I personally think at this point um, we know a lot more about physical activity and and its impact on on personal health and and public health than we know about sedentary behavior and and those and those outcomes. But uh, and 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 I think we need to hold ourselves to the same standard. You know, I think, um, you know, my my argument is not that um, 
you know, sedentary behavior doesn't matter. I, you know, I think, I think it matters. And I think we've got growing evidence to, um, you know, to, to, to support that conclusion. Um, what I think we need to know is uh, ultimately as much as we know about physical activity and health outcomes. And very importantly, I think we need to understand as much as we possibly can about the interactions between sedentary behavior and physical activity as they impact um, uh, health outcomes. Um, <clears throat> for example, you know, I think a very important question is, um, is there a level of physical activity participation that, you know, essentially blots out any negative impact of sedentary behavior? So, for example, can, can, can you have an office job where you do a lot of sitting uh, during the day um, and then after work perform physical activity at some level uh, that is sufficient to essentially overcome any negative impact of all that sitting you did all day? You know, I think that's a very important practical question that we've, you know, we've got to try to resolve. Um, you know, in the last iteration of the uh, of the U.S. Uh, physical activity guidelines, you know, we we attempted to deal with this, um, you know, by looking at at interactions between, um, you know, daily minutes of uh, sitting versus, uh, you know, daily minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity, and the you know the concept is that, um, you know, at, at at some level of physical activity. Um, you know, you're you're you know, probably immune to the negative effects of sitting, even at a very high level. But you know, I think all of us that were you know working on that at the time would would acknowledge that we need more research to refine that understanding of the of the relationship between the two. And and do you think there will be a amount in a way? And I I would guess it it could be for the kind of metabolic things and chronic diseases related to metabolic health. But if you think that the sitting posture is is not probably ideal for our our anatomy, so probably you would expect to see musculoskeletal problems even if you exercise a lot, or how do you see it? Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I you know I do think that in in you know studying the interactions between sedentary behavior and physical activity, um you know, we need to take an inclusive approach to, um, you know, looking at different outcomes. So, you know, chronic disease, uh, you know, outcomes are, you know, important, but, um, you know, I think, I think we need to take an inclusive approach and, and look at musculoskeletal issues as well, for sure. And, and if we go a little bit back to this, this public health, physical activity as a public health tool, how do you see the current state? What, what are the limitation we have made a lot of progress but where are we now and what do we need to do yeah i try i try to i try to be fair in my assessment of where we are um but i don't i don't think we're we're making nearly the investment in in physical activity in a public health application that that we need to be um i think we need to celebrate our successes um you know i think it's wonderful that we have established um you know, physical activity and health units in 
in public health agencies around the world. I, you know, that includes the World Health Organization. Uh, I think it's wonderful that uh, colleges and universities around the world have, you know, have focused physical activity and public health, uh, you know, specialization training programs. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's, um, I think it's, it's important that at the community level around the world, really, um, amazing things have happened. Um, I mean, we have traditional investments like uh, recreation and parks and, and school physical education and sport programs that have been there for a long time. And those matter. I mean, those, those are very important ways for people to, you know, to, to be physically active. And I, you know, I think we need to acknowledge that those are there uh, and, you know, because they're publicly supported investments. In addition, we've had a huge growth in, in, you know, in the private sector, in the health club industry around the world that, that, you know, it basically didn't exist 50 or 60 years ago. Um, you know, we have, we had YMCAs and, you know, a few, you know, facilities of that sort. But I mean, now the, you know, the, the health club industry is a mega industry around, you know, around the world. So that, those are all, those are all positive developments. Um, uh, and, and, you know, just one additional comment about communities. Um, you know, sometimes when I, I feel like I'm getting frustrated because we're not spending as much at, you know, at, at the, you know, state or provincial or, or national federal levels as I, I wish we were on public health. Um, I do think we need to look at the wonderful things that are going on in, in communities around the world to, um, you know, develop, um, you know, infrastructure for active transport, uh, you know, in the part of the world where you live. I mean, there, there's there remarkable investments in, in uh, you know, in, in active transport. And, you know, even here in the U.S., where I think we've been a little slow with this, uh, you know, at the community level, there, there are really some wonderful things uh, happening. So so that's the positive side. The, 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 the side that concerns me is, um, you know, if, if we're if we're going to treat physical activity as a as the public health priority that the science indicates uh, it deserves, um, we're a long ways from that. Uh, and and you know, you can sort of compare what we're spending in uh, you know in a country like the U.S. Uh, on on physical activity in in a public health setting and compare that with what we spend on, on, you know, tobacco use abatement or, um, you know, I mean, in the U S we invest incredible sums in, in nutrition and, and, uh, uh, and I, you know, that that's wonderful. You know, I'm not arguing that we shouldn't do those things, but if you look at, at the, population attributable risk associated with those behaviors as compared with, um, you know, the same thing for physical activity, um, there's, there's no balance there. I mean, we, with their proportionality, I mean, I, I just think the data would argue that, uh, we really ought to be investing a lot more on, uh, you know, on, on promotion of physical activity at the population level than we are. Um, so for me, that's that, you know, that's the background and the rationale. Now, 
the hard part of this is um, in order for us to convince policymakers that uh, this should be a priority, I, you know, I think our field needs to accept uh, the fact that uh, we, we need to learn more about how to do this well. Uh, because I think, you know, it's, it's a legitimate concern for policymakers to want to know that their, you know, their, their, their money will be well spent, that if, if the investment's there, then the benefit will be there. And, and we need to be honest with ourselves and, and um, you know, accept that we, we need to learn more about how to do public health interventions that will, um, you know, be effective in, in increasing <clears throat> physical activity in populations at the, you know, at the community, you know, on up to the, the national level. <clears throat> you know, in most, in most countries, I'll point to my own in the U.S. as an example, um, we really have not done physical activity campaigns at anything like the level that would uh, likely be beneficial. And, there, you know, there's some threshold. I mean, you can't do just a little bit and expect a big outcome. And I think, at least in the U.S., that, that's kind of what we've done. We've, we've invested a little bit in you know, public health interventions to promote physical activity, um, I guess, hoping that we would get a big outcome and um, we haven't gotten a big outcome. So, you know, you can't, you know, you can't run a public service announcement at 3 a.m. in the morning and, you know, e expect, you know, millions of people to change their behavior the next day. There's, there's a proportionality to, you know, the investment that you make relative to the outcome you can expect. And I, I just think we've, we've got to, we've got to find the resources to, um, you know, to, to, well, first of all, learn how to do this effectively and then, and then try it in some places to demonstrate in a convincing way that if you invest X, you'll get X level of benefit. And, uh, you know, we, we've got more work to do on that. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project, especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting-edge next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant, and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw three-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com.
That is sens.fibian.com. Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. So more investments needed. And you said, for example, about the health club industry, that that's good. But that's basically for the active people, for the enthusiasts. But basically very little is enough. How do you see how could we activate the most inactive who who don't really go in the gym or at least not keep going what what would be the solution for the least act, least active 10% yeah that that that's the huge challenge and and we certainly have a lot more to learn about it um i will say this though um you know there's there's one area where there's been great interest in 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 the research is looking at the you know, at the built environment as an influence on physical activity. And, um, you know, one thing that strikes me about the findings of that research is that you can, you can go to communities or neighborhoods where all the resources are there <laughs> that, that we think uh, encourage, promote, uh, enable physical activity and find people who are who are absolutely sedentary. The flip side of it is you can go to some very deprived areas where you would say, you know, there's very little support in this neighborhood for for physical activity. It doesn't look like it's safe. There are no sidewalks. It's, you know, not you know, not not an attractive area to be outside and be physically active. And you can look at the people that live there and you will find people who are physically active. So um, you know, I, I, I do think that um, reducing inequity in physical activity behavior across segments of populations um, and, and learning how to effectively promote physical activity in segments of the population, um, you know, where, where there is uh, deprivation and, and, and poverty is a critical need for, for our field, I, you know, and, and I do think that um, learning how to do that effectively and then making the case that that implementing those actions on a large scale in public health is a is a moral responsibility that we have uh, is an important next step in this work. Um, you know, we, we've all seen many examples of um, uh, you know, just just how inequitable are the are the provision of programs and policies that support physical activity, you know, across our uh, across our communities. And you know, if you, you know, if 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 you believe, as I think we should, that uh, you know a physically active lifestyle is important, certainly to public health but maybe even more broadly to a high quality of life. If you believe that, and I think we can document that, you know, that, that that's the case, then I think you can argue that we have a collective responsibility for that behavior to be accessible to everybody. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe an approach that uh, can be effective uh, with policymakers in the future will be the argument that, uh, it's just not right that that we would have inequitable 
policies and programs and resources to support physical activity when we know that it's so important to uh, public and personal health. And and if we jump a little bit back now, now you're doing research with very young children or even babies. How do you see the physical activity and public health in in case of babies and toddlers and and children? Yeah, I think um, uh, having worked with uh, physical activity and children for a long time, um, you know, I, I believe that the experiences that kids have with physical activity very early in life are uh, very influential in terms of their uh, attraction to physical activity later in life. Um, you know, we, um, you know, we, 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 my group has studied and other groups have studied for a long time, uh, social cognitive factors that associate with physical activity. Um, and, and, um, You know, we, we've started studies with kids in the fifth grade, for example. Um, you know, it, it, at that at that stage of development, um, you know, I think a lot of what they think about physical activity is already established. <laughs> you know, it's based on experiences that they had. You know, may, maybe in the backyard as as two year olds. You know, based on you know how their parents interacted with them or how their siblings or you know kids in the neighborhood interacted with them when they were, when they were, uh, you know, trying out various forms of physical activity. So, you know, I think uh, only one reason why we, why we need to study physical activity in infants and toddlers is uh, it may well be that the uh, physical activity experiences that they're having at that very early stage in life, um, are, those, those factors are going to be influential for the rest of their lives. You wouldn't think it. You wouldn't necessarily see it. You would think, oh, you know, my goodness, they're in the third or fourth grade. You know, we've we've got plenty of time to help them develop, um, you know, physical activity skills and you know to learn to enjoy physical activity and so on. And you know, I think we do. I you know, I certainly I I, I think at any age, <laughs> you know, people can can learn to be physically active and to enjoy it. Um, but um, From a public health standpoint, this would be a lot easier job if a much larger segment of the population transitioned into adolescence and adulthood already having mastered physical activity as as a part of their life. And um, you know, right now it's just we you know we we have a lot of uh, a lot of catch up work to do. You know, a lot of remediation <laughs> really uh, as as people get into adulthood. Yeah, and and you probably have been reading a lot of science throughout the years. What do you see as the most interesting, fascinating research on children's physical activity at the moment? What what gets you excited? Oh, I think social influences are 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 critical, um, and I just think we need to learn as much as we can about how <clears throat> we we can use those social factors. Uh, in in interventions that can be scaled up and applied in a public health uh, setting, you know, it's one thing to do a you know fairly small study of you know some intervention and and you know to show in a you know in kids in a single school or a, you know a, you know a, a one particular setting, 
that, that you can have an effect. Um, but it, it's uh, something else again to uh, translate that to much broader uh, public health interventions. And so we've got a lot of work to, you know, learn how to, how to uh, disseminate and implement um, physical activity interventions. But, um, you know, I think with children in particular, social factors are, are just uh, enormously important. And, um, you know, we, we've learned in study after study that, um, you know, enjoyment of physical activity and something that we call physical activity self-efficacy, which is, a, you know, a, a, a child's sense of competence uh, in, in engaging in physical activity, that those two factors are, they, they come up over and over again as uh, important determinants or correlates of, of physical activity. So, you know, kid, kids that enjoy some particular form of activity and who feel competent engaging in that activity are much more likely to, to engage in that activity regularly than kids who either don't enjoy it or don't feel competent doing it. So, you know, I think that I think the guidance there is for, for you know for parents and others who work with young children, you know, put put your kids in settings where they're engaged in activities with other kids. Uh, and and in a manner that they're enjoying the activity and succeeding, feeling competent uh, when they when they engage in the activity. And so social factors important, physical activity, self-efficacy. And how do you see that you've been doing studies with babies and children? What are we lacking from the research methods or measurement methods what what kind of things you have noticed in your projects that we would like to measure this accurately but we cannot what what kind of things have come up yeah i think i think we do need um uh, call it call it micro more micro research where um where we study the the uh almost immediate effects on children of modifications to the social environment around physical activity. You know, I think it, when when our field got started doing um, interventions for physical activity in children and youth, I think we we um, we started off trying to hit a home run. You know, we, we did a bunch of very large scale, uh, you know, multi-center randomized trials and, and um, you know, spent a lot of money doing uh, some quite large scale studies. And I think it was all based on the idea that we, we knew how to intervene. We just need to try it, you know, in, in, in a large scale setting. And, you know, those studies over and over again showed, usually showed significant intervention effects, but small, <laughs> you know, not, not very big effects. You know, and, and, so I, I think our field, one thing our field needs to do is, is, is sort of go back to the beginning and, and try to I identify social and other uh, intervention strategies that, um, that we, we, we can, with almost absolute certainty, <laughs> know will have a certain impact on, on most kids. And then once we've got that that battery of strategies that 
you know, we've demonstrated in kind of very controlled micro environment studies, you know, we, we have a lot of certainty that they will have a certain effect on kids. Then think about how we can scale that up to application in, you know, in schools, in recreation centers, in, in uh, you know, other settings. Yeah, I think we are running out of out of time, so I start to wrap up. Is there is there anything you want to promote, whether it's a book, whether it's a job position, or anything? No, I no, I I I want to I want to promote uh, talking to our uh, our policymakers about uh, you know positioning physical activity as a higher priority in in public health. Uh, you know I worked for a long time in the U.S. on our on our national physical activity plan. And, uh, you know, I, I always tell people, um, you know, it, it's your plan. You own it. Take it. Take it to your policymaker. Take it to your school board, to your county council, to Congress. And, um, you know, tell them experts say we need to be doing this, this, this stuff and let's do it. You know, uh, so I... I What I want to encourage is a lot more assertiveness around, uh, you know, how how we promote physical activity as a, a critical element in public health. And as a as a last question to our early career researchers, what would be your advice building a research career? Is there something you would have done differently in your career? What would be the tips for? people doing their PhDs or starting uh, after after the PhD? Yeah, I think um, you know, my encouragement to graduate students and others that are training for a research career is, um, you know, learn, learn as much as you can about, re- you know, research methods and rigor in research um, because, the, the, you know, the, those, those pieces apply and are important regardless of the specifics of the study. I mean, if you if you had asked me when I was training in in exercise physiology, you know, in the 1960s and 70s, um, that that I would be doing the kind of research that I'm doing today, I you know, I I, I would have had no clue. Um, you know, it it just I think I think in the real world, you know, a research career evolves. One study leads to the next one, and uh, uh, it's you know it's very hard to to you know know five years in advance you know what what you'll be doing, uh, but um, you know I think good research um, meets certain standards regardless of the you know of the setting or the specifics of the you know of the investigation that you're doing. So I think uh, you know my 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 advice would be um you know train train in the niche that you're training in today uh but but you know learn everything you can learn about how to do research that's rigorous and and meets the highest standards and um and 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 uh, i think if you if you do that um you know those learnings will serve you well the rest of your career regardless of the direction your your career takes yeah that's a that's a great great point so thank you for taking the time for this podcast it was a pleasure thank you Wally. great pleasure to be with you thank you so much 
Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.